0: Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and thanks as always to Tea Leaf Tea, La Piti Chocolat, and Yesti Boys. This is episode 194. I had a chat with Fergus Barrowman. He is the publisher of VUP, Victoria University Press. Um, he is a long-standing, long-serving literary uh, figure in Wellington. Um, and I know Fergus a little bit, but I didn't know him that well. This is easily, as is the case with the podcast often, is easily the longest and biggest and best conversation we had had together, but we did did know each other. And I've been aware of him and he's uh, come and done talks at the university way back when I was a student. And I was interested in hearing how VUP how he got the job and and you know man they've put out some great books championed some great authors um his partner is elizabeth knox so they met in a professional capacity and he talked through the the kind of how their relationship formed and he is still her publisher and editor and talked about the uh the situation there when, because she has a brand new book out. Um, we also talked about the literary journal, sport, um, and yeah, we talked we talked through the the kind of poetry boom that's happening at the moment, and and all things uh, Wellington literature. I really enjoyed this conversation, and towards the end we had a bit of a bit of a ramble about jazz because I've always known that Fergus is a big jazz fan, and um, and of course I am too. So we had a bit of a chat about that. I uh, enjoyed this conversation, and I and I hope you enjoy hearing it too. This is me. With the publisher of BUP, Fergus Berriman. I know you. We've met a few times, but yep. we don't know each other super
1: well. Not super well. No but much.
0: we see each other, and we know. You know, we've we've been at a. I've been at lots of your launches and events, and we've seen each other at gigs. You're a music fan. Yeah, no, I've,
1: I've said hello to you many yeah, times. That's it. You know, but it hasn't gone that much further. Music th- things, but yes, yeah. it yeah.
0: hasn't gone that much further than that. So I've wanted to talk to you. I mean, you can't. You spoke at a university class I was in. Once and gave probably some of the answers and stories you're going to give now, but that was so long ago. I,
1: I cannot remember that. Class, yeah, I think
0: I, it was a. I think it was one of Greg O'Brien's yeah, classes. Yeah, yeah,
1: a couple for Greg. Um, yeah, and I'm thoughts, talking
0: uh, at least 15 years ago. Yeah. So obviously um, there'll be plenty of stuff since then, and um, so we'll go we'll go back to the beginning. But you you just told me when you came in. I mean, I always sort of assumed this, but you're a Wellingtonian through and through. Oh Were you yeah, born in,
1: yeah, I. I yeah was born in Wellington Public Hospital and, you know, arrived at home in Glen Road at the age of yeah. about a week and a bit. Yeah. And I went away flatting for a while, but I'm actually back in the same Glen Road house. So Yeah, you know, yeah, I had been life. to your
0: house. You had one of, I think it was Anna Smale's poetry book launch was there. Which is
1: quite, ages quite ago. Quite likely, yeah. We've it was had something a, like that. We've You've had, had a few shindex, little book yeah. launches and yeah. you know an annual Christmas party. Yeah, yeah. So I've
0: been to one of those, yeah, but yeah. that was a long, and that might be when we first yeah. met. But that was a long time ago. Yeah. So yeah,
1: the, yeah the, It's the same house. It's, mm. it's a different house. So, so the that's group. the house you grew up at. House we grew up in, but yeah. um, Elizabeth, as you know, had a great success with the Vintners' Luck. Yes. Um, Exactly 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And um, that gave us the means of tearing off the old dark Southside <laughs> Kelvin lean-to kitchen yeah. and putting this lovely big gallery room on the back of the house. Yeah, yeah. Which um, means we can float around in sunshine and yeah. also hold decent parties there. But yeah, it's the same house. So I've, I've, I'm a total exemplar of village life. Mm. I've hardly gone anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you casually mention Elizabeth and the Witness Lark. She has a new book that is fairly fairly brand new.
1: Yeah, no, the absolute book, which yeah, um, which is getting rave launched two weeks ago yeah. today, and that's fantastic. Um, you know, it doesn't get any easier for a writer or for a publisher that mm. sort of nervous build up to publication because you really don't know what's going to happen. Mm, mm. And you know, in this case, there's a. I think we're almost at the point where the relief is shading into pleasure and celebration. Yeah. You know, great reviews. <laughs> yeah, you know, good word of mouth. Uh, just a real buzzy feeling. So that that's been great.
0: Well, we'll talk a little bit more about about that and that that kind of feeling book to book with her work. But how long have you guys been in each other's lives?
1: Oh, um, when did you meet? Oh, we 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 met in nineteen eighty six, I believe, and it was I was a young publisher at VUP, yeah. um, and Elizabeth had done Bill's creative writing course, which was an undergraduate course, and VUP had an official policy of not publishing fiction, mm. because we weren't big enough. And Bill said, hang on, we might want to vary that. I've got this <laughs> sort of young Star. woman in yeah. my class who I yeah. think is going to write something extraordinary. Yeah. And um, so I got from Elizabeth the first two-thirds of the novel, you know, parts one and two. Mm. This is after Z-hour. And read them and thought they were extraordinary, and sort of rang her up and we talked about it and made promises to mm. publish the book if she finished it when mm. she finished it, mm. and and she did. And the first time we actually met in person, um, Bill Mannheim introduced us, and it was after the book was finished and we were you know mm. publication mm. was sort of set up, and we had lunch at Rackets, which is the old restaurant at the squash courts yep. in yep. the Golden Parade there, <laughs> and I remember the particular moment in the lunch towards the end when elizabeth and i got into an impassioned discussion of love and rockets
0: yeah 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 yeah. and
1: andy's brothers comic and bill sort of he just sort of quietly slipped away (laughs) 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 in a very cool fashion but yeah so, so we met in the process of editing um elizabeth's first book wow and um things took a turn you know some some quite a few months later, yeah, you know, wow. in the course of publication, yeah.
0: Wow, well, well, let's go further back to when you're growing up in Glen Road and, and in Wellington in general. What what are you interested in? What's happening when you're a child?
1: Oh, I'm a reader. I mean, that, that was my yeah, defining yeah, yeah. thing as a kid. Yeah. Um, I was the, the most unathletic kid in New Zealand, <laughs> I believe. Um, and I just like to be left alone with a book, and yeah. you know, that's how I remember myself. And where I,
0: did that come from, do you think? Like. I mean, obviously, it comes from your parents it on come some comes level. My but parents,
1: my parents were both school teachers. Um, mm. They loved books and reading, and you know, the main one of the main events of my childhood was library visits. So we would go to the Wellington Public Library and the Karori Library and the Mobile Library mm. up in Kelvin. Mm. Um, we didn't buy books, you know. My parents were children of the de- children of the depression, so um, you know, you got your books from the library. Yeah, yeah. But, but from the earliest age I can remember, you know, that was the thing—new mm. books all the time.
0: And um, a range, or were you uh, hooked on like adventure series or comics or a particular thing? Oh, or was it a all, big one, all, everything? all
1: kinds of things. My my, my parents were, were sort of smart enough not to have any kind of anxieties about what kids were reading mm. because they were professionals. So, there was a drive against comics, and in particular war comics, in New Zealand at that time. And they were completely happy for me to collect war comics, you know, and I keep them all in order on the yeah. shelf and reread them. Um, there was another big drive against Eden Blyton, um, and, you know, there were educationalists and librarians who believed that Enid Blyton was ruining children's right. minds, yeah. um, and she should be banned. And they were perfectly happy to sign me up for a you know an Enid mm. Blyton subscription. Um, and I'd go to conventions. So yeah, I read a huge range of things, mm. Um, mm. and it was you know great kids books. And when you're moving from being a child to choosing your own reading and you've got Rosemary Sutcliffe and Alan Garner and Henry Treese and you know fantastic writers like that Mm, mm. I mean the the only regret I suppose is that I was a bit too old for Margaret May
0: right you know so so there
1: there was no New Zealand stuff um, in my diet Mm, at mm. that stage
0: so you are unashamedly very happily happily a lifelong book nerd which is kind of what I Always, top, 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 always expected top, 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 top nerd, yeah, 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 yeah. I, th- I, I seem to recall that from from hearing you speak. But um, what are you hoping happens in your life as you're reading these books? You know what? It, you know you don't sit. No one sets out to be. A publisher, I would think, like oh. as a kid, you know, it's a bit like saying I want to grow up and be a reviewer or I want to, you know, these these slightly weird things you fall into.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an accidental publisher, yeah. serendipity. I mean, at secondary school, I believed along with everybody else at Wellington College that I should be studying science and maths and get a serious degree and it was only right at the end of my schooling that I twigged. You know that that was not what I was good at and had any feeling for. Yeah. And at university, um, you know, studying English and French and philosophy and all you know all of the those subjects. Um, most of my uh, passion in those years was working on Salient, um, student politics, going on protest marches. I was reading a huge amount. Um, the Salient office was a real scene for music fans. Um, Mm. So we used to spend hours and hours and late nights there and everyone had their kind of velvet underground tapes and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah. it was just a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so eventually ending up as a publisher it was kind of a process of elimination. I think I got to the point where I was tutoring in English and my MA, which I have never finished, um, was not going terribly well. And Bill suggested I apply for a new part-time position as assistant to the editor of VUP. And I did, and I just found it was the perfect mix of kind of self-indulgent reading, reading Mm, for pleasure, mm, mm. reading for experience and knowledge, and also practical work. Mm. You know, at Salient I've discovered the thrill of making things Mm. and meeting deadlines and getting, you know, magazines, newspapers, books out into the world, and, Mm. you know, publishing supplies, all of that.
0: People have, have, um, I I suppose people have asked you this plenty, but... People have often asked me if, um, you know, with reviewing music for a long time, can you still listen to music for pleasure? And it's like, of course. and But you do, when you develop some sort of critical approach to something, there's a blur, so you can be doing both. Is that the case for you? Do, can you just read utterly for pleasure, or are you always reading with the approach of, would I like to publish this? What would I do if I, you know?
1: I, I, I think... I Can still read completely innocently for pleasure, mm. and I think it's really important. Mm. Um, I think I'm maybe I'm lucky, maybe I've done something right that I've kind of preserved that. Mm. But I know if I've been really busy at work, and one of the things about publishing is that um, you're really busy all the time, and so most of my reading of manuscripts and proofs actually happens after hours. You know, I take stuff home in the weekends, mm. um, and the weakest for you know all of the other side of work Mm. um if if I've been so busy that I haven't read a book for a couple of weeks I can kind of feel myself going slightly stale or slightly paranoid or Mm. something you kind of lose your bearings and there's nothing for it but to actually sort of sacrifice a weekend and just you know diving into a novel that said you know um I'm always aware however much I'm enjoying something I'm I've always got that kind of little part of my mind, which is standing aside, kind of looking at how it's working. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. What changes would I suggest if this was in my power or how how, did this slip
1: past? How did this slip past? How did did she make that work? Yeah, yeah. That that kind of question.
0: Yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah. So um, I guess there's several things in VUP that I'm interested in and and, and that you'll be able to, to talk to, but... Shortly after, I mean, you, you'll be able to correct me on the timeline, but shortly after you're involved in VUP um, comes the establishment of sport.
1: Yeah. A couple of years yeah. into... Ooh, so the timeline, I was part-time in 84, and I got yeah. the full-time job in mid-85. In sport, was that 1988? I think so, I think yes, so, yeah. and, and that was when Damien Wilkins was working as the part-time assistant to the editor. Right. So we shared an office about the size of this room, you know, mm. and that, that mm. was in the days of wax and pay stuff and yeah. typewriters, you know, we didn't have computers.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And um, we just got to talking about literary magazines because Damien was a writer, Elizabeth was a writer, um, lots of our friends, Jenny Bornholt was a writer, and there had been two literary magazines in New Zealand, Landfall and Islands, and Islands seemed to be ceasing publication you know the gap Mm. between issues getting longer Mm. and longer Mm. and landfall wasn't really in a good space at that point it was edited by committee and people who had great work couldn't get it published so we thought yeah okay we can do this we've got the skills and the contacts and the other thing that was starting to frustrate me a little bit at VUP was that because it was small and we couldn't do too much I was seeing a lot of promising work that just wasn't quite ready for a book yet yeah. Or we couldn't quite be confident enough of it. Mm. So you know, a literary magazine was a way of getting in early, and um, yeah. So it actually did. It happen very soon after the establishment of my role at the UP. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, what 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 were the early kind of success stories or highlights that came out of sport that you that you kind of think
1: of? Oh, I, I first and foremost. I I love the first issue. You know, um, which had in it, I think Bill Mannhire and Vincent O'Sullivan were our famous writers, but all of the other writers, Damien was in it and Nigel Cox, I think, was in the yeah. first one and Elizabeth Knox and Jenny Bornholt and Virginia Ware and Forbes Williams. And I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, all of these were basic unknowns. Mm. So, you know, that sort of fringe group became the central group. And, and you know, we, we're a fantastic response to sending out letters to sort of encourage people to send us stuff. And I think we filled up half of the second issue, even when we were putting together the first issue. Yeah. Um, but one of the writers we wrote to was Gerald Murnane. Who's oh, LP. right. I can yeah. see over there. Yeah, um, yeah, a, yeah, Who both Damien and I were complete fanboys. For. Yeah. And I'd met, gee, no, I hadn't met Gerald at that point. And um, he sent us a story. Um, when the Mice Failed to Arrive, um, it was a fantastic story, so it became the kind of cover story. Yeah. Catherine Bagnell did a picture based on it for yeah. issue two. Yeah. And then when he did his big collected stories um, last year or the year before, yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that's the first story. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, that was yeah. cool to see. I'm
0: still working through that. It's an amazing book. Oh, fantastic I mean, stuff. He, yeah. I'm quite new to him. Like, just last couple of years, I've sort of heard about him for a, a, you know, a long time, and yeah. just I know he's had a, a, a wave of re-recognition, been,
1: re-appraisal, yeah. It's fantastic to see that. I remember Elizabeth and I, basically we went, on our honeymoon, we went on a kind of a pilgrimage <laughs> wow. to Melbourne and now out, mm. out to the sort of very mm. nondescript bit of the suburbs where, where, where Gerald he, was. Yeah. Where, where he's in hiding. Yeah, lovely, lovely man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't make it easy for himself. He's, no, no. Yeah, he sticks to his guns on things. And yeah. I remember he wrote um, Elizabeth a very long letter criticising her use of one particular semicolon at one point. <laughs>
0: Have you heard that record? I I have, It's it's bonkers, but it's great. I
1: love the fact that there are probably, there are at least five copies of that limited run of 100 in Wellington. Yeah,
0: right, yeah. It's funny, I mean, I've just recently got round to writing a a sort of a little review thing of it, and the guy who produced the record wrote back and said, yeah, thanks heaps for this, but if I could just correct one little thing, because I referred to him being like a, a friend of... Gerald's or something, because yeah. he had been, in a, you know, in a writing class or something, and he said, "If I could just correct one little thing, I don't even think you know Gerald would consider me a friend at all. Could you please <laughs> change that?" Which I thought, you know, that's just perfect. Like yeah, that's exactly the kind of feedback. Got to get it right. That's yeah. exactly the kind of feedback I want from something like that. Just totally fits the <laughs> fits yeah. the narrative.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I saw him again at a. Uh, a I think it was the New South Wales Premier's Prize. And many, many years later, mm. um, he was up for a prize. I mean, it can't have been often that he went to Sydney. And, yeah. Um, yeah, no, he he immediately remembered me and Elizabeth and was sort of right back in, in that moment. Mm. And that, that was wow. a thrill. Yeah, but yeah. But I, yeah. I love that album. And I, yeah. It's one of those great things where you get someone who would seem to be as far away as you can get from an obvious choice to, yes. to make music around. Yes. And he doesn't alter his delivery one iota. Mm, mm. And, you know, the music they've put with it and under it just fits it perfectly. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You and know. you can tell that, yeah, in and, and that sense, all the work's been done by everyone other than him.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. He's,
0: just, he's just, they've turned up. Put a microphone in front of but
1: him. But he has kept his basic That's timing yes. and delivery, and it's just perfect. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, um, the guy suggested to me that there's a second volume coming, and I couldn't tell whether that was.
1: I, I read uh, that in your review, yeah. and was pretty interested yeah. in that. I'd yeah. love to see. It. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so, um, you're yeah, all right. So, so sp- these things happen, and I guess like it, it's true of individual. Writers and 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 their careers, but with something like sport, you don't go into it going, we're going to create a literary journal and it's going to last for thirty years, or or do you on some sort of idealistic level?
1: Actually, we probably <laughs> did. I <laughs> yeah, mean, the, yeah. the the other literary journal that had been around then, or there were two others yeah, significant, yeah. and which lasted for four issues and which was very provocative. That was Lee Davis's. Oh yeah, London yeah, yeah. And then Greg O'Brien and. A few friends of his had done a thing called Rambling Jack, Mm. which was supposed to be only four issues, but they did five because they couldn't bear to part with it. (laughs) And so we were thinking, you know, what do we want in a a literary journal? And the two things that we wanted was for it to be big enough so that it could run really substantial pieces of prose Mm -mm. as well as short things, and that it would last for a long time so that rather than just be a come and go thing, it would... Come out every six months, or now every year, and would build up a record and would have some kind of stability, so that you know, yeah. we could continue to offer that service to, you know, writers and to people who wanted to check out new New Zealand stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the last couple of years. You know, thinking it's it's really our version of like a Paris review or something, was <laughs> not it? I know that's a you know
1: Yeah, we're, we're a bit more glamorous than they are. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: I know that's a you know, hopefully that's a good compliment. But you know it is it is it is yeah. that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it I was, think it's I think it still serves a role. I mean yeah. we've we've thought about whether to give it away a couple of times over the years. Yeah, I bet. And I mean the you know it's the pressure of time. There's, yeah. There are so many other things going on. Yeah. Um, we nearly um, stopped it after 10 issues and did a, a first 11 you know right and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but no no it was it was too much fun and there was too much interest in it yeah um, how it's evolved though in recent years is that that I can't put quite as much you know yeah. time and so you're doing this sort of guest
0: to. curator editor thing yeah. yeah
1: and and it was. One of the things about sport was it was never a VUP publication. It was always a sort of private thing, mm. so we didn't have to follow any of the university's um, you know r- rules around content or not not so much rules, just the sense that you know you're you're serving a larger mm. organisation mm. with its own priorities. Mm. Um, and but over recent years it's become more and more closely embedded in vup and rather than being something that i put together it's kind of been collectively edited by a group of people who are on the staff like like ashley young and kirsten mcdougall and holly hunter and all drawing and other people and and we've sort of taken that a stage further for the issue that's just about to go to press so we've actually found some money it's the first time um a sport editor has ever been paid right but we've found some money to employ Tay tibble yeah um on a temporary contract you know to edit Mm. this issue of sport Mm. so you know that that's a nice sort of stage to reach
0: yeah 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 um now tell me a bit about the how the press works in conjunction with the university when you were talking there about um sort of regulations and And so forth, and how that's changed, how that's evolved over the years. Like, what's what's your what requirements are there of you to?
1: It's it's mostly unspoken. I mean, Mm. the the press is subsidised by the university Mm. um, on against the bottom line every year. I can't imagine how any you know press like a university press in New Zealand or Australia could do that kind Mm. of publishing without subsidy. Yeah. Um, So, you know, in the official documentation, we exist to publish books of scholarly value and general cultural importance that couldn't otherwise be published in our small market, you know. So there's a reason, I think, why you've seen such a growth in the whole university press sector in New Zealand over the last 10 years as the multinationals have withdrawn, because if the universities weren't supporting it, New Zealand literature would be in, you know, a deep decline at the moment, um, but there's nothing very uh, formal about that. I mean, you know, we, we exist to do a job for the university, and our successes and therefore also our failures um, reflect on the university's reputation. So you know, I I guess I'm charged with being aware of that and the publishing decisions we make.
0: Mm, mm. One of the reasons I was interested to talk to you is I feel like people have an idea What an editor does And what a director does In in regards to film or or, or (coughs) writing But roles like publisher and producer Which often encompass those other roles uh, That's a little bit blurry or murky Or just lost to people
1: it, it surprises me how opaque that is mm. to people outside publishing. That's um,
0: right,
1: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I just forget that I've been doing it my whole life, yeah, so it yeah, seems yeah. natural. But um, in a sense, you know, the publisher is the person who makes the publishing decision, and depending on the size of the company or the structure, often publishers don't do anything apart from, you know, make decisions and move money around and, and employ people. Mm. Um, but usually publishers will have an active role in reading and assessment and in sort of working with other readers to make those decisions. Mm. And in some cases, publishers will also work with authors in sort of the bigger picture structural editing, you know, the the first round of feedback and Mm. the kind of, you know, the the taking the machete to the undergrowth edit that happens before it then goes through to an editor who will fine-tune the the text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But even so... um, talking to colleagues in international publishing over the years. Um, uh, Well, Robin Robertson, the wonderful Scottish poet, who's a fiction and poetry publisher for Jonathan Cape, who Mm. was here, oh, he's been here several times, but last year. And, um, you know, he he has a senior role, um, and he edits himself. You know by hand some of the writers that he has had a long-term relationship with and he supervises you know the work of the rest of the staff on other things mm. and that's very ha- much how how vup works so um you know i i do quite a lot of editing still though yep. I probably should do less and then sort of you know manage or sort of brief others mm. um and increasingly um ashley in particular um who's an editor. Um, has a role in the kind of decision-making process mm. and is also you know managing the work of junior staff and freelancers mm.
0: Mm. and so you know when you first uh, are in the role and Vp is uh, well under you is getting established what what um what's the kind of i guess success rate like like how how I mean it's you've you've had a great few years recently it can't have always been like that
1: oh it's um it's in a funny way it's always been like that it's it's, um because of where we are you know we're doing Mm. literature we're Mm. doing fiction and poetry we're doing new writers and established writers
0: so it's been steady basically it's it's been a
1: sort of steady growth in size over the years so you know um one of my first jobs as an editor um, was to get on the phone and to negotiate international contracts for Te Kaiho, the Windeater, Kerry Hume's book of short stories that mm. came after the Bone People won the Booker Prize. And that was because Bill Manhire had had the foresight to sign up her book of short stories before the Bone People <laughs> was even published. Mm. So, you know, right at that point... Um, The writers on the VUP list included Carey and um, Janet Frame's selected stories, You Are Now Entering the Human Heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was only a very few years later that we had a big success with Barbara Anderson. So her book of short stories, I think we should go into the jungle, which was rave reviews and multiple reprints within the first three months. And that sold her next book, um, Girls High, to Jonathan Cape. Mm. And so she then had a fantastic career where all of her fiction was published in Britain by Jonathan Cape and in New Zealand by the UP. Mm, mm. So we've always had that sort of um, thing where we've found ways of publishing experimental and new writers mm. in mm. smaller print runs yeah. that are sustainable so you can call a success a yes. realistic number. Yeah, And then also supporting bigger books and being able to sort of keep supporting them as they break through. Um, I've seen plenty of occasions in publishing where small publishers have a breakthrough and it destroys them. You know, it's the Sam Phillips story. You know, he mm. couldn't afford to keep Elvis's contract. Yeah, yeah. Um, It would have ruined both of them. Yeah, um, yeah. And VUP, um, had, you know, we haven't fallen victim to that. So we've been able to do the Vintner's Luck, you know, the 60,000 copybook or the 130,000 copies of The mm. Luminaries mm. at the same time as we're doing those 1,000 print-run first novels by other writers mm. and sort of backing them as hard in the local market and media.
0: Mm. Well, let's let's break off and talk, since you mentioned The Witness Luck, let's break off and go back to, to you and Elizabeth. You have a relationship, but you also have a relationship that started and Has continued where you are her publisher,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll say, so these I'll, run
0: in tandem basically. I was
1: her publisher first, first I that's think that right. makes it okay, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, 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 no. But yeah. but I'm just curious about how, um, of course it does. I'm just curious about how the writer publisher relationship sustains itself and has evolved
1: oh, over these it, years. It, 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 it. There is a mutually <laughs> supportive and positive feedback side because we're both keenly interested in the same thing. Yeah, and you're on the, the same, same side, of course. There's also um, the, the opportunity for a great deal of stress <laughs> because if a writer feels like things aren't working out for them, the easiest thing to do emotionally is to blame the publisher. <laughs> yes. So poor Elizabeth it doesn't have that emotional <laughs> outlet.
0: No, well, that's what I was, I was going to say. like, who? I mean, beyond her knowing herself, who who delivers the news to her that this is not her best work when she's working on something? Like, is that a conversation? Oh, that, that, how many times has that conversation that, happened and how have you guys <laughs> learnt to manage that, that conversation? That,
1: that, that's my role, mm. uh, first up, mm. and... Um, yeah, Elizabeth's a. She's a hard worker, and she's she's a very acute critic of her own work, yeah. and all of her books have a process of um, coming into being, where there's quite significant changes, not to the complete manuscript, but as the manuscript sort of. Gathers size, so she might get a third of the way through and then rethink the beginning, or she might get halfway through and then realise that actually something's wrong and she needs to take something out and go in a different direction. So you know, I I contribute to that yeah. um, process, and we, we have some pretty lively um, discussions about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it's fascinating. Um, one of the, with with all writers, you know, yes. there, there's a kind of a you know, if, if you spot something and you come up, up with a criticism and a suggestion, you can see the look in the eye, they think, oh shit, I thought I'd got away with that, but clearly I didn't. You yeah. know? So there's a kind of a response to being called up. But then something sort of starts happening <laughs> and the, rest, the, the remedy that the author comes up with is always better than what I propose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so my job I think sometimes is to spot a problem <laughs> propose something even dumber which is a kind of a trigger to you
0: know. <laughs> I mean and because you know obviously you've you you know, you've spent your life around books, around authors, going to literary events, putting them on um, but Elizabeth's success particularly with the Wittner's luck mm. I mean that's at the time that happened I guess particularly you know you're talking about um, bone people once were warriors, but there's like, there 's only a handful of books that have really you know are almost household titles, right and she became one of those yeah. people that created one
1: of those books yeah there 's this what half a dozen or yeah. eight in my yeah. whole publishing career um, yeah. that i 've seen in New Zealand, and yeah, to have one of those is fantastic mm. um, and one of the great things about that kind of success, and you know, Barbara was one of those Emily yep. Perkins was exactly mm. the same thing. Um, that you, first book of short you, stories. You very, very feel quickly feel like you're almost powerless. You know, that you had the good luck to catch that wave. You know, it's, you like know, a, it's being done by it's the culture. Like, It's like yeah.
0: the the parent running along beside the kid with the trainer wheels that's, and then, you know, the bike's wobbling and the next thing they're off. Yeah. You're yeah. a bit like in yeah, that. It's,
1: it's very much like that. Yeah. 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 Um, So I I think it's wonderful when that kind of success happens because it's a validation of what you've believed in, you know, for some Mm. time. Mm. And um, it introduces the writer to a whole different relationship to the world and the industry and a whole lot of different contacts. And, you know, fascinating things Mm. follow from that. Mm. When part of me is always just sort of sitting quietly in the background watching what's going on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what what happens with something like... I mean, the, I haven't seen the film, but The Witness Luck was turned into a film, and the, there was, I remember there was a, a few things around that at the time. The film was quite um, negatively reviewed.
1: I i think the film well, didn't work. Um, I think that um, the writer-director, Nikki Caro, mm. made an honest mistake mm. um, in her approach, Um what Elizabeth said once was it as if someone had made a film with Jane Eyre and made it about her teaching career. Right. You know, yeah, not yeah. about the love story. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And and that was that was really you know hard to take. It was a huge kind of disappointment.
0: Well, um, this is this is where your relationship with Elizabeth and being her publisher must be interesting too, because you're again you've got this mm. mutual. Goal, interest, whatever, mm. but you're also, you're the support person in two different roles there.
1: Well, exactly. So so on the one hand, you're thinking, okay, there's these kind of commercial opportunities yes. and career opportunities which you thought you might be about to get, which you're not going to get, so mm. that's sort of tough. But then there's also the you know the private thing, mm. remembering always that this is not about the book, that mm. it doesn't touch the book.
0: And that on some level you're whatever the word is compensated for the failure that occurred you yeah. know like you signed up for it so there oh,
1: was you know there's always a risk yeah
0: yeah that's yeah, right yeah. but you and but you also received some you know oh you you know the book rights
1: were sold oh yeah I mean, no no, you, no the, the
0: money's in the bank for yeah, you guys no, exactly ex- so there's and, and, that.
1: and the, the thing you always tell writers um, with with film offers is yes. sign the contract bank the money and don't think about it.
0: Yeah. You know, and, it but
1: it's very, very hard. hard because, be hard, not? Yeah. Because the book has come out of the writer, and, you know, they care deeply and personally, and they want everything to work. And so, you know...
0: Is it Tom Wolfe with Bonfire of the Vanities? That's got... I'm going to butcher the quote, but he he said something... Someone asked him what he thought it. You know, because that was a spectacular mm. failure of a yeah. of a movie, and someone asked him what he, what he thought of it, and he said something like, I, I thought it was, you know an extra million dollars for me or, you know, whatever yeah, it yeah. was for him.
1: Yeah.
0: And he's he's claimed to have not seen it, which probably wasn't the truth and all of no. that. But in a way, he kind of had the best answer, that it's very hard to emotionally detach yourself you in, yeah, in yeah. the reality.
1: Pe- pe- I, I've seen many, many people in the arts put on a very good show of emotionally detaching themselves, but I never quite believed them. Mm,
0: know, mm.
1: I know that it's a kind of a, a game face that you have to put on, but... Yeah Yeah You're still feeling it
0: Yeah Now what Now outside of um, Elizabeth's story and, and a couple of the other writers You mentioned like Barbara Anderson Like what When you talk about a book Being a success What What is a success In terms of numbers loosely And what is that You know Because people don't really know Like it's the same with music Particularly local music People think if someone's got a song on an ad or in a film that they somehow set up and it's really not the case. Now, we know that and obviously lots of people do know that, but there's still people that just think, oh, well, it's you've sold 10,000 copies or you've sold 500 copies or whatever it is, that's some sort of massive success. What what sort of numbers prove a success for you?
1: Well, success, you know, is yeah. basically a relationship to your expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of our fiction, you know, first fiction, short stories, we will print a thousand copies, and if we sell seven or eight hundred, then you know we've broken even on our external costs, and mm. we're very happy with that, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's uh, in a country of under five million people. Mm. Um, I was going to say that's a hard sell that, a lot of the that, most of the that's, time. That's a pretty pretty good um, yes, slice n- of the available market, and, Yeah. you know the books are in libraries. They so you know, readership is always higher than sale, mm. and I think one of the things that's happened with the internet and the circulation of secondhand books is that um, every copy that's out there is read more times now than used to be the case. Mm, you know, when mm, they just sort of mm. gather in dusty piles and RTBs mm. and you yeah. know, who who knew what would happen? Yeah. Um, so and if if we were to sell 800 copies of a uh, you know a novel that's retailing at at 30 bucks, say. Then the author's going to make two and a half thousand dollars in royalties, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um it's you know, it's not a living. It, no. it, it doesn't sort of cover the year or eighteen months or two years it's taken to write the book. Mm. Um but I think that success at that level where people can sort of get their print runs and they can get them up to 3,000, and publish a book every few years and get that kind of audience, you know, that's, that's. you know, you don't talk about a writing career so much as a writing life, I think, at that point. Mm. And also that kind of work, that kind of recognition opens the door to a variety of other things like teaching jobs, um, other writing jobs, um, you know fellowships and reason mm. and so on mm, mm. so so no one, you know, very few <laughs> yeah. so I mean in, in my you know 35 year career I think the only two writers who have made a really decent living for a period have been Ellie Catton and Elizabeth Knox in your stable, um, like yeah, from your stable, yeah. yeah. But, but others have have um, based a very sort of successful kind of portfolio life on the mm. fact that they are Career mm, writers.
0: Mm, mm. Um, another, I guess, kind of murky area for people to understand, perhaps, is VUP's relationship with IIML. Is that another sort of largely unspoken?
1: <laughs> oh, I I think it gets spoken a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, yeah,
0: no, well, it does,
1: <laughs> especially rudely. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, is it a sort of a, a, a sort of? Um, a handshake memorandum of understanding, sort of thing. Like you're in the n- neck of the woods, and you've.
1: Oh, it's a, it's a bit it's a bit more um, formalised okay. than that. Um, and I've been reading the folios. Um, yes. Yeah. From from the very beginning, you know, from, yeah. From from actually. A, the first time I was asked to be one of the readers was when I was a teaching assistant in the English department. It was before I had the part-time job at VUP. So in a sense that connection comes first. And it's now sort of understood in my employment contract that I spend a month every year, you know, November, Mm. reading a million words that come out of those two MA classes. Mm. Um, And it's been really important to me, actually, as a as a reader and, yeah. and as, an, as an editor, to have that regular exposure to new writing, often unfinished writing and experimental writing mm. by, you know, some of the future stars of New Zealand literature. Some people with talent who give it a go and find that it's not really their thing. Other people who are not going to be writers but wanted to get a particular project done. So I you know, have to respond in a detailed way to have quite a wide range of things and it kind of keeps my keel even, mm. you know, as an editor. Mm. Um, and one of the things is that, that the IIML intake has to be much wider than any publisher can possibly um, represent. Mm. So there's always more genre fiction and um, various kinds of non-fiction in more books than we could possibly absorb. So, you know, there's a very nice mutually... You know beneficial relationships so we get books from the course but also the course I think gained a really important early profile from the fact that in the 80s and early 90s when there wasn't as much New Zealand publishing and the publishing there was especially from the multinationals tended to be quite conservative in style we were able to you know, willing to pick up those more innovative young mm. writers. Mm. And so, you know, I think I think VUP made the IIML what it is today.
0: Mm. Um, that was a joke. Yeah, yeah. What uh, did... Wh- how involved have you been in... in you talked about, it's, it's spoken rudely, and the IIML is spoken of sometimes outside of anything to do with VUP. There's often been like... Um, you know, production line, blah, 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 the, the latest model, young, attractive females, all of this sort of stuff that mm. was that was written and perhaps still is and is largely ludicrous. It's
1: nonsense, um, yeah.
0: How involved have you been in, in, in having to sort of publicly defend your, yourself and your involvement or, or 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 attack those people making those allegations? Oh, I, or do I, you just stand back?
1: I usually ignore it yeah. because, I mean, the, the trouble with engaging in that kind of stuff is even by doing that you're kind of giving it some credibility yeah yeah
0: yeah giving yeah. it oxygen so uh,
1: and, and uh, <clears throat> i mean you know what you would say is uh, given the record of the iiml and the course before that and you know the many authors who have done it and have gone on to sort of success yeah any bright wannabe writer in new zealand is going to f- want to go and do that Mm, mm, so i mm. mean the the main thing that keeps the iiml at the forefront is that it gets first choice of all the writers um and you know i've really seen so many times how a really well-run workshop can you know it can't provide something that a writer doesn't have you know it can't turn someone who didn't have it in them to be a writer yeah that yeah. can really help them, you know, discover what they've got, unlock and, and clear some of the clutter away, clear yeah. some of the self consciousness away.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's um, any of the kind of criticisms I've seen of, of it over the years. Ignore the fact that there's an arguably quite quite brutal and demoralising elimination process that gets those people to to the oh, spot. It's,
1: it's yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: You know, and it's the and I don't know the numbers of who applies versus what gets in, but obviously loads of people miss out. <laughs> and oh. and I know I've interviewed a few people for the podcast that have have been through it, and I've interviewed a few that have been unsuccessful and tried again and then got in. And there's plenty of those stories, oh, right?
1: Uh, many, many stories like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But also, um, doing the course is no guarantee of anything. No, that's there, right. There have yeah. been plenty of talented um, and ambitious writers. Who, for one reason or another, have never quite managed to crack it. Mm. Um, you know, and there are so many different individual reasons for why that happens. Mm. So you know, there's no way you can sort of maintain that conveyor belt model because it just doesn't apply to reality.
0: Yeah, I remember the year Katie did it. I think every person from that class got published, but it took a wee while, and that and that actually that was quite has been as quite I, a rare year.
1: I, I think. That was right. I think it probably took 10 years. Yeah, yeah, there was certainly a couple that took. To,
0: yeah, that's right. And
1: Without, I think it was
0: five years, four or five years for Katie for her book, yeah. and and sh- she was in the first bracket kind of thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, I think the sort of the average time from finishing the course to being published is probably five years. Mm, um, mm. There, there are always the people who, you know, come out with something really good and it's out the next year, mm. but there are many more who sort of, you know, took Elizabeth or four years it took Barbara Anderson maybe five years it took mm. Jenny Bornholt five years you know yes. it's a sort of a stage so this, so this idea, which is going to take its time this yeah. idea
0: at all that it makes writers yeah. is is really fundamentally absurd it's it's it unlocks something for them
1: yeah yeah
0: you know it yeah. it, it, it assists oh, <laughs>
1: you it's know? a huge assistance. I mean, yeah you know the yeah. records there but it's, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. no it's no magic. but it's
0: not a guarantee no. you know, it's not a magic no. trick it's not a it's not a your
1: and, and and you want to say to the people who don't make it, um, you know, the fact that you went to the IRL and still didn't make it, you know, doesn't make you a total loser. That doesn't mean it's all your fault. Yeah. Because there are all of those other factors that come into things, mm. and, and sometimes you know the 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 outcome of someone sort of really sort of taking a year to do serious work and to test themselves and to explore, you know, their own capability Mm. and if the decision that comes out of that is that actually this isn't for me, you know, I'll take what I've learnt Mm. and myself and turn that to other uses in my life then that's actually a positive educational outcome as well
0: Mm -hmm. So who gets published by VUP that doesn't go through the IOML, and how do they get published? Do, do people still... There, is there ever any sort of open call for submissions? Oh, do people still...
1: We, we get stuff all the time. Yeah. I mean, we, we get submissions every day, literally. Yeah. And um, we're all we. We're not nearly as quick as we'd like to be in um, assessing those, but I don't yeah. know a single publisher in the world who is as quick as they'd like to be. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. just volume and time. It's overwhelming. <laughs> um, and and so we yeah we get things from all all around the country and increasingly from overseas. Mm. I mean the overseas mm. stuff we send straight back because that's you know we, we exist to do New Zealand writers. Yeah, you know, yeah, That's yeah. our market and that's our people. Um, but
0: so do you entertain? International writers at all? Like, is there still a is there still a chance they go into sport into sports and things like that? Like we we, you know? we
1: have done, you know, yeah. we we did Gerald, you know, yeah, yeah that's we, what there I'm ne- asking. Never like, any chance if of him <laughs> him coming to New Zealand? Yes. And, and we've done a few. He doesn't
0: have a passport, does he? <laughs> no.
1: And we've, we've published a few writers who have been here for festival visits, right. or, yeah, yeah, at the yeah. or Yeah, a connection, or or just happen to be a particular personal connection I've made, yes. or, or someone else has made, yeah. you know, around the magazine. Um, but it's rare. It's it's rare. Yeah. yeah, and and same with the VUP. It just yeah, we we're not in the business of sort of pursuing you know international writers who yeah. require international audiences. Yeah, we've we've done a few connections with um, international publishers. We we did um, a couple of translations of the French writer Pierre Furlong who was here as the Randall Cottage Fellow and also translated Elizabeth and Alan Duff and some other New Zealand writers. Mm. And, you know, one of his books was a historical novel set in New Zealand and a book of short stories that was about the South Pacific. Mm. So that's the yeah, kind that's, of connection yeah, yeah, that yeah. sort of grows naturally out of the community. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And so who who have you opened a manuscript from? You've never heard of them. they nobody. They've not gone through a course and then it's, for whatever reason, it's knocked you out, and you've published it. Are there, do you have stories like that? Because obviously, you're talking about um, there is such a, a a a club. I mean, I use the word club. I don't want to use it in a negative sense, but there's such a connection between you and a lot of writers you talked about. There is, it's, uh, uh, and there's a perception from some people that how do you break into that? Like, does that happen to people outside of the fold come in?
1: I I honestly. I wish i had an example <laughs> of that but i yeah. but i don't yeah and and i think the reason is that that writers don't usually write in sort of ecstatic solitude and then come out with a with a great manuscript yeah yeah um writers publish in literary magazines they do courses they share their work with friends and so, and because I go to readings and I mm. read all the little literary yeah, magazines yeah. and I'm in touch with the IIML, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I see them coming. You know, yeah. if, if, okay. if, if your head's up and your eyes are open, then, yeah. then you see them coming. It's, um, there, there's no conspiracy there. Yeah. And um, not one single one of those writers who we publish or are published elsewhere in New Zealand started as an insider. Yeah, you
0: know. Yeah, and what about those stories like, um, like you mentioned the, the Sam Phillips Elvis thing. What about like you know, there's that famously that guy who turned down the Beatles by saying you know guitar music's going out of out of fashion. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was a publisher of Penguin at the time, talking to a class I was in, and someone asked yeah. him what his biggest regret was, and he said turning down Craig Mariner, thinking that it was. Ah. Thinking that it was a nothing, and then it blo- and then it blew up. Do you have a story like that where you you should have second guessed yourself, or uh, <laughs> I've you
1: again? Uh, no, no, it's, it's true. I mean, well, one, one one story I, I could tell you is, is um, Barbara Else's novel, The mm. Warrior Queen, mm. um, which I turned down um, because I thought that. it wasn't quite the kind of thing that vup could do Mm -hmm. um what was i thinking that it was a kind of a lighter novel um but then it was published by godwick press and was extremely successful reprinted on prizes um and uh, i read it again in the the published version And, and what i thought was actually two things one that it was a better book when it was right. published yeah. than when, when I saw it and no, I wasn't sure when that had happened. Right. But also the kind of book it was and the kind of um, packaging and buzz it needed, VUP couldn't have done. Mm-hmm. You know, we, mm-hmm. we our list at that point was quite literary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and okay. um, so I was thinking actually if we'd published the book, it wouldn't have had the same success. So probably it was a lucky escape yeah. for Barbara. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, so, and so there, there have been a, a few things that that. that that we've seen that have gone on, you know, to be successful for other people. Mm. I kind of don't want to name them because it's no, 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 adding I insult to injury. No, but,
0: no, no I'm aware, but, aware of that. But, yeah, yeah.
1: And there are a couple in particular that I'd love to have, you know, but 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 off. But again, it's that thing of writers have careers, you know, or they have lives, and you're only looking at the book that's there. Um, and yeah. sometimes the, the book that you'd love to have been able to publish is not the book that you thought and still think wasn't quite there it's the one that's two or three you know books further down in the career like
0: A Mistake by Carl Schucker, you getting to publish that
1: that's, that, that's, 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 of, that's probably a very good example, yeah. I mean you in
0: know, terms of, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's his... breaking
1: no, no great confidences yeah. to, to say that, that I turned down um, the method actors mm, in, mm. A, in an earlier draft well you
0: sort of referenced it in your launch stage and, and,
1: um, <laughs> and uh, partly because if VUP had done that book it would have been murdered by the local critics and mm-hmm. it wouldn't have had the international glamour that would have defended against that assault. Um, once it was taken up by counterpoint and mm. um, was set for international success, you know, we could easily, happily have published a New Zealand edition of that. But of course, they they weren't having that. They wanted mm. to sell British and Commonwealth rights as, as one package. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it, it does feel like Carla's kind of come home.
0: Yeah. You know, with yeah. the
1: mistake, um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
1: and and he's a really good example of someone who's what is he four or five books into a career now and they're they're very different he probably has Um, at
0: least one in the drawer too I I
1: would say so (laughs) you know given that
0: just knowing that I mean I know him well but knowing that he um, you know he he basically had a book before he did the IOML like before the method actors and then that eventually Mm. came out
1: Lloyd-Jones is a really interesting example I mean we published um, several of Lloyd's books Mm. earlier on in his career and Lloyd's been through at least four different primary publishers, and has just performed this magic trick, which I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do quite so well of being a new writer four times mm. you know, until he finally sort of really you know found his way into his luck
0: mm. 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 and tell me about Eleanor Catton and what that meant, you know, what that meant to you, like.
1: Oh, that, that was a thrill. I mean, the the I thought the rehearsal was a masterpiece. Um, yeah. And, but also quite risky book. Yeah. Um, because it had that open ending, you know, where you didn't know which of the two main levels of reality in the book was, was real. It, mm. You know, kept them in poise. Um, so we made sure we secured New Zealand rights to that book before... You know it, it went out to mm. the to the world and one one story is that when that was taken up by Granter, um they published it with great enthusiasm and the editor philip gwynne jones sent the review copies of the rehearsal out with notes to the london press saying pay attention to this young writer she will win the booker prize wow you know wow and so that that helped Put the <laughs> rehearsal on the radar. I don't think anybody, even Philip, would have imagined that it would have, you know, actually come around so quickly yeah, yeah. with the second book. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the second book is a doorstep, yeah. and so that's sometimes a tricky prospect but she's established the first book was something of a success and as
1: you say like the 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 rehearsal wasn't a bestseller not, anywhere, but, but, it was, but it but it won awards yeah it and, was recognized and, 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 and her talent was obvious and, yes and it was trans you know published in translation and mm. you and know, then many a film the was made languages you know all of yep. that was happening yeah and so the publishing business you know the book world was ready for her next book yes and as the luminaries were sort of coming up. Um, Lots of people had options on it. But, um, you know, as it became clear, the scale of it and the type of the book, you know, there was this lovely mixture of n- fear and awe, you know, amongst yeah. the, the, the publishers involved. You yeah, know. yeah, So I think most of us had a really clear sense of its potential and what it might do. But then so much <laughs> else has to happen, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So what... Can you remember... Where you were when you heard the the Booker announcement, or, or any of the steps into that, like even oh, even I, I, longlisted, I, I, these are all milestones for when, her when, and when, for when you. Her,
1: when her name was read out, yes, at, as the winner of the Booker Prize. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting there in the Guild Hall, and Ellie was right over the other side of the table, right? Under yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but
0: but those earlier steps, I mean, that's significant because you know, obviously, the Bone people was our was our kind of thing up until that point in terms of a mainstream acknowledgement of
1: that sort of success yeah I, i mean i i remember reading the first half of the luminaries and being in total awe i actually read it on an ipad while i was traveling Mm. Um, and i just thought this is a this is a masterpiece and then reading the rest of it in sort of installments mm. and just getting that sense when i got the final one um and again i was somewhere i think it was in Mount cook you yeah i'm <laughs> um, just just sort of knowing that this was a, a completely unprecedented book and unlike anything i'd read mm. um and knowing too from um emails with max porter the who was then the editor at Granta, who was starting in on editing the book, Mm. how excited he was. And, you know, there were enough people close to it who could really see what was going on. Mm. Mm. And um, so those sort of several stages, you know, the announcement of the book, a long list, the announcement of the book, a short list, you know, each of those were those kind of, you know, sitting there, you know, with, with my laptop open at midnight, you know? Well, because you're, they don't leak those. You no, no. You don't no. get... And it's not, you know, there's no advance notice to publishers. You yeah, know, yeah. It, it drops. And, so
0: this was, that was my next question was, so you're sitting there when it actually happens, and how, you know, how quickly is the phone call or the email or whatever to, you know, press play on, you know, several thousand copies or whatever? Like, how does that <coughs> change? Because I can remember notice notices being put up, were, you know, were, we're out, and the UP are reprinting as soon as possible. But how many times did we, that happen? It, it,
1: it, I mean, it's the same for for, for the vintners. Like, mm. you know, you get a book which is different, which is unprecedented, and you you believe great things are going to happen, but it's actually quite hard. to Persuade the book trade yes. that that's going to happen because yeah, they've they've got yeah. their records you know they yeah, they yeah, know yeah. <laughs> what happened last time and <laughs> and so we we did a first print run of three thousand of the luminaries, which felt quite optimistic at the time mm, mm. and in hindsight was insane, yeah. um, but we didn't know you know and if if it had missed the book a long list then I think we would have sold three thousand copies you know in that a year yeah. and then there would have been a paperback reprint and everything would have been sweet and you know we would have been happy
0: yeah um, yeah you
1: know a success That's, yeah um but as soon as it got on the long list um we were reprinting and of course we'd printed offshore mm. so that we could combine our printing with Granta, so that you know both of us saved a bit of money yeah yeah because their first print run wasn't insane either you mm. know mm. it was relatively cautious mm. So we had um, more copies being shipped from the UK and we were printing locally and then once it made the shortlist we printed in Australia alongside um, Grant as Australian publisher so that we could get the books in and um, you know, I, th- I think we ordered two print runs of 30,000 copies. Which are kind of all black captain numbers, you know. Yeah, I yeah, never yeah. imagined I would be signing print orders of that size. Yeah, yeah. And I was very lucky then that we had the university as the banker, because for a small independent press to you know try and cover a you mm. know, print order for thirty thousand copies, mm. would be a nightmare.
0: But as you say, I mean, this is this is moment of national recognition. Mm. This is where, you know, yeah, someone yeah. has to be the banker and come in. This is, this is yeah, Kiwi, yeah. Kiwi pride yeah, and exactly. as well and, as literary and, pride.
1: And, you know, for, for, it was really hard for us. For some time there, we couldn't supply the book trade. Mm. You know, the book mm. was out at its sort of hottest point Yeah, um, because we had a container load coming from Australia, which was as quickly as we could get them in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is also part of the economic problem here. Um, you know, this is New Zealand, because of the scale and the small mm. size of the industry, we don't have those big printing plants and we don't have the access to cheap paper. Mm. And it was costing us per copy four times as much to print the book in New Zealand as it was to mm. print it in Australia in big print runs. So Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the other thing people outside of the trade mm. don't know about, isn't it? Yeah. Like, they... You know, you go into a record store and you see a, a special deluxe box set for a couple hundred dollars mm. and you th- people think, oh, that's got a $200 price tag. The shop's obviously making a nice kick on that. And they're probably, if anything, making less on that yeah. than just a standard LP or CD yeah. because yeah. there's a bigger risk and there's a bigger wholesale cost as a result. Yeah. And so it's the same for a bigger book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 those sorts of print runs you're talking about. So, what do you do as a publisher there? Like, um, how you know she's not rushing to flood the market with books, nor oh, does she need to.
1: No, I mean, I, but
0: I, what do you do as there a sort of you know? How do you stagger your um, you know, your text messages or your emails that say, hey, what's up? How are you getting on?
1: <laughs> oh, we, we stay in touch. Yeah. I mean, what, what's happened with Ellie is we have, we have a contract for her next book. Mm. Um, as so do you know As other it's, publishers yeah, yeah, around yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, she's late with delivery. Right. Um, quite considerably late at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there is a very simple reason for that, um, which is that she is writer-producer on the TV adaptation mm-hmm. of The Luminaries. Mm-hmm. And she's also done a... Um, written an adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma for the BBC and she's got a couple of other Mm. film or TV projects Mm. underway. Mm. So that's kind of limited her writing time. Yeah. Um, or so, well, her novel writing title. Yeah, She's exactly. Writing, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, and all of that means still continued interest in sales and things for you, of, you know. I mean, when the TV series comes mm, out of The Luminaries, that's
1: going to be well, helpful the, the, the Luminaries has been a great backlist title yes. for five or six years now. And yeah. once you get the TV, that's going to set off a new edition. Mm. And there'll be, you know, a lot, lot more action then. And I think it's much more important that a writer's next book is a really good book and a necessary book than, Rather than, than that up. it's a quick book. <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah, um, yeah. You, you know, the With publishing, unless you're talking about Lee Child or someone like that, the mm. law of diminishing returns sets in pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's better to leave a space and yeah. then to come in with something that's its own thing.
0: And in general, we're a small market to flood. <laughs> like it's easy And flooding.
1: we flood really quickly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, Something I've noticed is in recent years that a successful book will sort of scale to its kind of maximum sale pretty quickly. Yeah. So in the past, right. you'd look at what happened with you know reviews and word of mouth and social media mm. over the first you know the week before and the week after publication, and you get some sense of you know whether you need to reprint and how many and what's going to happen. These days, it, you know everything in those two weeks can get you to ninety percent of where you're going to end up. Mm. You know, at the end mm. of the day, I remember mm. talking to um. Scott Pack, the um, British publisher mm. who was previously at HMV, I think, in the UK, and he said that a, a new Morrissey release was always a difficult thing for the music industry because they knew they'd have to buy it in large numbers for yeah. fans, yeah. But they also knew that they would sell zero copies on day two. You know, yeah. it was all yeah, all yeah, over uh, in one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, books are sort of starting to get that kind of compressed pro- profile.
0: Mm, mm. Um, And so tell me about the poetry boom at the moment. Do you see it as a, you know, I guess people are already starting to say that, um, you know, Hera Lindsay Bird is is one of the, you know, Ashley, and there's a whole bunch of um, New Zealand poets, particularly female, it seems. Um, But do you see it as a massive, Boom! And how has that happened? And you know, you're you're actively involved in that. You're publishing lots of.
1: We, we, I mean, we are ecstatic about the sales for here you know, Bird and yeah. and also Tatable. Yeah. Um, but. We've actually had good sales right across our poetry list and we're publishing more. I mean, we've mm. published up to eight or nine books of poems in a year mm. several times recently, which is more which than seems
0: we, we well, said uh, yeah. we'd ever do. Yeah.
1: You know, it's, it's, it's exceeding our policy, but mm. the books are there. Mm. And um, if you're not, you know, if you're, if you're not going to close the door to new poets and if you're not going to turn down second books, then you have to, you know, allow your your list to expand and the market is so far holding up really well um i i I don't know that there's so much of a poetry boom as the new zealand fiction market has dropped um you know apart from the big successes, yeah, um, there yeah, are lots yeah. of books, and the average sale of all of them is a bit lower, yeah. So, there's not that much difference now between poetry and fiction, mm. and that because we're getting better at um, managing smaller print runs, it makes the kind of profits and turnover of those poetry books more important to a publisher. So, we're you know happy to invest in that. I, I think the poet. Uh, you know, in writing, and, and, you know, music's exactly the same, you know, the Dunedin sound above mm. all, you do get a zeitgeist thing where mm. the works people do together or separately in the same community sort of feeds it, each other, and it makes possible work that those people wouldn't do in isolation. Mm. So I think we are seeing that in yeah, was, poetry at the moment. I,
0: when I say boom, I, you know, I just think, like, whatever you want to say about it, there's been a bunch of different things, not just... Not just individual works or writers, but there's been a few things that have helped make poetry cool again, or something like that. You know, like the spin-off publishing poems regularly, the Poetry Day, which has been in place for a long time, but... And, and Lit Crawl, you know, all of these sorts of things,
1: right? Yeah. Um, I remember thinking in the early days of poetry, do we really need this? You know, this is just kind of rebranding. A lot of things are going to happen anyway. Mm. But actually, I was completely wrong about that mm. because it stimulated a lot of new activity and sort of taken the word to a lot of other people. I think the reason why I'm hesitant about Boom yes. is that Boom requires Bust to complete yes. it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. much prefer to think of the sort of poetry scene with its current vibrancy and visibility Being cool has as <laughs> sort of shift into a into a new phase where it's going to stay cool and mm. stay possible well
0: it's a dirty word like jazz to some people isn't it yeah, and yeah. you know again like jazz is cool again for a lot of people and never wasn't but yeah. for others it's just there's a snob factor of I don't quite understand mm-hmm. that or I'm, or even the perception. I'm worried. I might not understand it.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's as if um, because the commercial CD business has crashed mm. and the jazz business has crashed, mm. um, the great jazz musicians, the you know older ones and the younger yeah. ones, basically, there's no reason. No, They can't sell out. There's nothing to sell out to or (laughs) for.
0: Yes, yeah. So they're doing
1: their own work. And um, people are finding that that's actually much better stuff to be listening to and Mm. going out to hear. Mm. So you're getting a kind of an ecology which um, is not making people rich anymore or, you know, the the, the prospect, you know, of riches is Mm. gone. Mm. But the possibility of a lot of people being part of a sustainable community is there. And I think it's much healthier, and just produces better art
0: yeah i just i think like um going to and i've been going to a few poetry readings again everything from the the sort of writers on monday Mm. through to the sunday afternoon open mics for all comers Mm, and they just it just feels a lot warmer than it Mm. used to too Yeah, yeah you know just this idea that It is an all welcome policy No snob
1: factor at all No snob factor Audiences who are interested And I think bigger audiences And audiences who actually understand What's going on better Because they've been Mm. done it a few times Yeah. So you don't get the same kind of What's that you know yeah. you don't get the awkward silences you know yes. the, there's a kind of the audience knows how to play their role in the event well, well. The,
0: the what's that moment is exciting and experimental mm. yeah not yeah. not baffling and why did i come here not, you, know? Not yeah. yeah, key, yeah. Right. you know yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah
1: spilling her guts Ew,
0: yeah you know. yeah it's actually like people snapping their fingers yeah, and yeah. applauding and yeah. and just genuinely being interested so how does how do you you know how do you sit with the you know future of publishing because everything we've talked about you're to, you're talking about a lot of great success stories um a great roster um obviously an established audience mm. but every few months we hear stories about the death of the book the death of publishing and all of this sort of stuff is is that all greatly exaggerated or is it cause for concern or is it both
1: Oh, it's always cause cause for concern. I mean, I think you know, literature is a human need, you know, natural mm-hmm. human output, um, and and the book, I think I think the book, the printed book, is so much better as a delivery device than any other electronic device that's been yet invented. But so the book will remain at the heart of publishing. That said, it doesn't really matter whether people listen to things on their phones or read them on the page you know it's it's the story it's the words Mm. words that matter Mm. um i think that internationally and in new zealand there's there are opportunities for publishers and authors to sort of make money and find big audiences and really get things happening um not through you know old-fashioned sort of cultivation of a publishing list but through actually focusing really tightly and individually on new voices, new product or you know, opportunities um, there's a lot of other publishing um, You know, a, a lot of micro publishing new, you know, new imprints starting mm. up you know, there's, there's somewhere between collective publishing and self publishing and new publishing mm. um, I don't see any of that ever really um, managing to transition into a living for the people who are doing it you know, it's always going to be on a sort of a volunteer yes. hobby um, basis. So it's always going to be either short-lived or subsidised. And that's mm. why I see the support of universities and other institutions and the government through Creative New Zealand and local libraries and community organisations as fostering not just publishing but all of mm. the arts as being absolutely critical to you know that kind of... Infrastructure that that enables you know careers to happen.
0: But uh, you know, do you think? I mean, you would you would seem to have spent your life diametrically opposed to this, I guess. But do you think the um, the kind of uh, baggage of vanity publishing being slightly removed is is also? A great thing for the book like it might not be a sustainable thing but the fact that it, it now doesn't seem to be quite as insulting
1: the, the, stigma. <laughs> the stigma the stigma has, stigma has and, been and whether you call it vanity that's publishing, right. or service yeah, publishing yeah, partnership yeah. publishing because
0: crowdfunding as crowdfunding, a model has yeah. kind of risen up outside of the book trade and also yeah. spilled over into books yeah. basically as a matter of it existing yeah uh, that's kind of cool right like i know oh, it's uh, not your model but
1: no, no ab- ab- absolutely it's, yeah. and, and it's it's giving a lot of people an opportunity to participate and a lot of people an opportunity to get work, their work out there where it's discoverable some of the people by, that you would have rejected over the years ab- ab- for example ab- it's actually a good
0: happy story yeah. right yeah. like that they have a another crack
1: yeah, and actually, it takes a bit of the pressure off publishers too. That's what I mean. If like, yeah, have yeah. Other, 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 You don't have um, to
0: keep writing rejection letters, like. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but also, you know, there's there's that sort of terrible sort of thing on your conscience. Where you think, oh my mm. god, if I if I reject this this project, that's got no other chance. Mm. You know, if, if you're the last publisher standing, you mm-hmm. know, it's a terrible feeling. So the more that there is, the, yeah. the, the the more publishers can afford to sort of shape their own imprint and body mm. of work and sort of make choices where they can really deliver the value to the things they're backing
0: mm, mm. and all the way through your career are you taking notes for a book to sign off with yourself is no that,
1: no uh, right is
0: that will, will is that will that ever happen
1: right writing's incredibly hard you know why would i do that to myself <laughs> I mean honestly I don't I have no idea. I have no plans. Yeah. Yet, and I've no So
0: maybe plan. that will happen, but it's oh. not something you've been no, I, I, working away at.
1: I get extraordinary creative um pleasure and satisfaction from reading mm. and from editing and from making books. Um and, you know, up to this point that's always been enough. So yeah.
0: Well someday though that is a story to tell I mean we're sort of telling it now. You're telling it now in some form and you will have done this before and do this again. But it is
1: it is a story. Oh, it's a fascinating story. And as time goes on, and I kind mm. of feel a little bit more detached from some things, mm. um, you, you can you can see it. Mm. Um, I, I don't think people realise how much the fate of New Zealand arts are determined by um, the flow of international money in and out of the industry. Yeah. The fact that um, books, are, international books, are now distributed into New Zealand from Australia rather than via Auckland-based warehouses Mm. basically removes about 20% of the retail price of a book from the New Zealand community to an international community. Mm. Um, You know, if if a New Zealander buys a book from uh, an internet supplier, um, that's basically taking 60% of the sale price out of New Zealand to so offshore. Always, mm. you know, the publisher and the author share was going to go offshore, mm. but now mm. all of the middle, you know. Mm. And I think having that kind of loss of substance, that loss of um, cash flow um, is going to affect the artistic end of writing as well as the industry end.
0: Mm. Mm. So... To the absolute book, which is two weeks old, that's that's already had some really rave reviews, notices, and no doubt um, some sales to reflect that.
1: Yeah, no, we're we're really happy. We did we did a a sort of a a solid print run of three thousand, which Mm. is pretty much exhausted now. So we're you know at that point of determining exactly how many we need. To get us through the next phase, mm. really, you know, happy with the reviews, happy with the word of mouth, happy with the reorders. So, mm. yeah, it's a it's a it's a good space to be in. And yeah. you know, th- this is a great month for VUP because we've also got um, Jenny Warren great yes. book of poems, Lost in Somewhere Else, yeah, and Rebecca Priestley's memoir about Antarctica. Yeah, I'm really
0: looking forward which to. Which is that. a terrific yeah. book and a huge
1: sort of leap forward for her. You know from being a science, a very good science writer, to mm. a writer with a you know voice and style of her own. Mm. And then Jane Arthur's um, debut book of poetry, Craver. So, you know, it's mm. sort of four and, highlights. And, you know. and sport on the way. So sport, which is, is sport I
0: I know come out in November. <laughs> November, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, and 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 anything else big before the end of the year that's already, you know, known about? And
1: Oh, look, it's, it, it, yeah, um, we Got a novel by Lawrence Patchett, um a sort of a futuristic novel mm. set on the Carpety Coast, um, called the, the Burning River, which is a fantastic sort of rollicking yarn. Mm. And a terrific debut collection of memoir essays by Rose Liu about being a Chinese New Zealander, all who live on islands. Oh yeah, yeah, same collection. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about it is the range of experience. You know, it's from yeah. her grandparents made lonely in New Zealand by language difficulties to her own bad behavior growing up a teenager on Wanganui, you know, to working in the tech industry in Wellington. It just sheds light on so many more areas of contemporary New Zealand life Mm. than you would imagine just from that, you know, obvious sell the Chinese New Zealand life yes. experience. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and another of um, collection of Sarah Lang's comics, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. A big, fat, sort of, Let yes. Me Be Frank anthology, yeah. which is hilarious.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to talk to Sarah, finally, for the podcast. I think yeah. I lined her up to speak to her as one of my, sort of, like in the first ten people and yeah. it does never quite happen yeah, I yeah. just contacted her recently and yeah. said well now that's coming out let's let's do it around that you
1: yeah, don't do it she's yeah. the opportunity she's as busy as anything yeah yeah no but, she said she's but, gonna do it yeah. so
0: I've always because I've always uh, I've always really I mean I've only read a couple of her books but I've really like the comic stuff yeah I really love that and I love the fact that she's that she's done both like yeah. Proper novels, yeah. to use not to diminish graphic yeah, novels, yeah, but yeah. actual novels yeah. and graphic novels, yeah. and she seems to be very good at both.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but that memoir of experience and sort of memoir and essays is a real thing at the moment, isn't it? The last few years, like,
1: it's it's yeah, um,
0: almost like an actual genre.
1: Yeah, it's like all of the young poets are turning into essayists, mm, you know. Mm. Um, and I mean, Ashley's book, mm. can you tolerate this? Was one of the the first, you know, in New Zealand to really strike that note. Yeah, yeah. And we've got some fantastic sort of future prospects. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's it's as if some of the energy that's been in fiction and some that's been in poetry is now going into this new form. And I think it is a new form. I think it's Mm. a little bit more different from the personal essay as we've known it. Yeah. Than than we quite imagine. The Joan Didion. Yeah, I don't think we've quite sort of worked out what it is yet. Yeah. But um, it's really fascinating to be there at the point where you can see a new genre. Mm, come into focus mm. like that I
0: think it's a little bit like, I mean, you know, you <laughs> think of people Like, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of examples But obviously Joan Diddy And and then on a slightly more comic tip, someone like David Sedaris, those yeah. those kind of And they will rightly be the mm-hmm. kind of Antecedents of yeah. this, they'll be Seen as the, yeah. you know, do you think It's a case too, like A bit like music and, and the bedsit Electronica producer who yeah. can actually Doesn't need to put Their demo tape in front of the famous person mm. in America can actually just absorb stuff mm-hmm. and knows that if they've got the right stuff themselves to produce, mm. they can, they can do it. There's no there's no sort of put in your box, you're not big enough, you're not from America, yeah. you don't yeah. you know, you can't do that. It's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? The,
1: yeah, yeah, you can see some some rightness. Yeah. Um, and actually Ashley's another good example of this. Um, as well as the essays she was writing sort of formally Mm. and Mm. things she was writing for publication, she was writing on her blog Mm. and writing with sort of completely unmediated urgency on the blog. And I think, you know, that's a way for her or was a way for her of freeing up her voice and kind of um ignoring the you know, the Um, inner editor. And I can see other writers who are doing the same thing. You know, and it never translates straight from blog to page. Yes. Um, often stuff that's...
0: Well, Emily Writes is kind of an example of that with what she's done too. The parenting writing is that it started as a blog and there's been a little bit of shaping, but basically they're now essays. I, you know? I
1: haven't read the red print version. Right. Um, but but yeah, what I was going to say yeah, is that sorry. Often, often with those... The, the kind of the raggedness and the unmediated quality mm. and almost the unfinished quality, which is kind of charming and fresh in a blog, can look a bit twee on the page. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. um, there, there is, again, there's a little bit more time.
0: Yeah, but too before, much studio before polish.
1: We, before <laughs> we work out how to kind of, you know, the, the kind of polish which looks like spontaneity.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to hopefully speak from the point of view of someone who's been called a blogger that it's not actually an insult and you know it does not always anyway and and certainly with ashley's blog mm. pieces they they seem to somehow both be a blog mm. and an essay yeah at the same time they they yeah. almost spoke to two different audiences yeah, but that audience not quite the same that's that. right see how yeah yeah. The other, I
1: mean, yeah i think you can see that in, in music writing and jazz writing mm-hmm. and um, and Iverson's mm. blog is fantastic, mm. Um, mm. rich resource. I'm um, yet to sort of make it to print in any serious way. Millions of words there must be mm. there now. Mm. On the other hand, you've got Alex Ross, you know, who's, who's been a prolific blogger, yeah. But, yeah. but sort of short form. Yeah. You know, so you can get a lot of the kind of um, little first drafts of ideas and passing comments and bits mm. of acute noticing, which are somehow Feeding into those bigger projects. So. Mm,
0: mm. Now you mentioned jazz. You're a jazz guy, right? Like you're, a, you are a.
1: am um, I'm, I'm. 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 You're in yeah, there. I, I, I like to. Sit, <laughs> you're in that zone. I like to sit in the room by myself and listen to music.
0: Yeah. 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 But because I oh, I've seen you at a bunch of jazz performances. Uh, yeah, yeah. I do recall from the time I was at your house, I saw a lot of jazz CDs. Yeah, there are an embarrassing and number. Yeah. 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 Where, where did that come from? How did you discover that? How did you find? How how did it find
1: you? Oh, I, I just like listening to music, and always have done. Mm. Um, and um, I don't know what what the kind of the particular. Why Why did I you know mm. because, Why did that they... you know, in, in my youth? You know, we we all had our sort of um, Coltrane Miles Davis LPs, and mm. they wore out, and we didn't have. Turntables for mm. all of those years until we got turntables again.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But why did I start listening to Miles Davis and Duke Ellington and all those guys again? I just did. Mm. You know, was, I mean, I've got no professional right. role or commitment or yeah, necessity. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of following yeah. the pleasure principle. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So I just started listening to a lot of jazz, and I think it's the it's the it's the lighter texture. The improvised quality, um, the um, lack of singing, you know. Mm. Yeah.
0: Do um, you, well, as someone who is a, a big music fan and a big reader, do, can you combine the two? Do you have to have silence when you read, or are you quite happy to have? music on in the background no, 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 I,
1: I, I, I'm terrible I do both at once I yeah, yeah same but a lot of
0: people don't right um,
1: and, and, it's, and it's really interesting how, how the things sort of toggle together because the, what, I mean, the thing I don't do is watch TV I, can, right. I cannot sit still and watch television screen I've never been able to
0: even all the great stuff you just.
1: I saw Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I was
0: going to say, do you do you go to a you know a DVD or whatever when it, when no, it exists? No, I, not I, at all, I, I, I not can't
1: even watch a great movie on a on right home TV anymore. I just right, can't quite get. In. So I go I got movies. Yeah, yeah, right. Festival.
0: You can but, do that, but you but, won't. But it no, at what
1: I do is, is is so I think part of the reason for jazz is mm. that it's not so insistent and. Um, it's music that you can float in and out of, mm. you know. So it's quite good to have something that's interesting enough to, you know, demand a little bit of your attention or to key you in. If you're not wholly absorbed in what you're reading, and if you are wholly absorbed in what you're reading, then you don't notice the last hour of music that's been playing, because you've been completely unaware of it. Mm. Um, I I get more kind of. Antsy if I'm reading in silence and I'm not quite, you know, mm. not quite deeply immersed. Mm. I find mm. that very distracting. Whereas if you've just got that bit of music, so you can come and go.
0: Now you you mentioned. I mean, Miles and Coltrane both go pretty far out, but there's a lot further out than that. Um, I guess Ellington kind of went far out a couple of times too but, but but less so do you have limits or are you quite interested in exploring jazz uh, to the, the I guess the weirdest oh, no, degree I, in I, tangent
1: I, I listen to all kinds of yeah. things um, yeah, yeah. and, and um, I'm a kind of restless listener so mm. I you know listen to things on podcasts or buy things or download mm. things for, mm. which I think I might be interested and in. mm. sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not yeah yeah um I, I really, I mean, I enjoy atonal classical music. You know, right. I, I listen to a lot of that yeah. 20th century stuff. Yeah. I like that kind of, you know, the vinegary tone, the kind mm, of, mm, yeah. Mm. And I like that in, in sort of chamber jazz. I listen to a lot of that kind of, you know, European mm. chamber jazz, a lot of um, sort of German and Austrian music, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, I find increasingly that the stuff I used to love, you know, that sort of, 1950s hard stuff. Mm. You know, a lot of that's sort of over for me now. Possibly I've listened to it too much. Yeah, yeah. It's just you can just hear everything coming.
0: But it does go in waves. Yeah. You yeah. know, you do find yourself. Yeah. Coming back to things you thought you'd written off, you thought mm. you'd. You know, I I felt like I'd listened to Miles Davis till I didn't need to listen mm. to him anymore. And just recently, of course, I've. Found my way back to a few favourites, and there's and there's obviously there's loads to get back to. Yeah. But I've found six or eight albums, where I'm like, why haven't I been listening to <laughs> these for a while? They're actually amazing. Of course, yeah, they're amazing.
1: because you kind of. But
0: yeah, I've did. done my time with them for a bit. But then you, I do find particularly with I think with instrumental music, mm. it's interesting to come back to it. Yeah. You know because you know obviously lyrics make their Mark on you when you hear them But instrumental music's A little bit more fluid you Yeah, know. You, yeah.
1: You, you don't remember it In the same yeah, sort of circuits of your brain you, Yeah, you yeah. focus
0: in on different parts Yeah yeah. I listened to a Mike Oldfield record last night I didn't think I'd do that again And I expected no. to not like it
1: Can't imagine doing that again No,
0: and I loved it And that was weird Because I've always mm. had Well, for years I've really not been interested in him at all And I was kind of like Why have I still got this? Oh, I'll give it a go And yeah. I, it was kind of well, like a kiss of death I was like, should when, I
1: actually love this? When, when I bought a working turntable After not having had one mm. for 10 or 15 years or something What I found was that There was a lot of vinyl there on the shelf That I could you Know about half a side was a yeah. nice nostalgia hit, yes. and then get that off, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I quite like um, listening to one side of an LP, yeah, and maybe some of the other good tracks or bits are on the yeah. other side, but I'll do that, I'll, I'll, I'll play something else. Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's probably the short attention span of the digital age, you know, of, of, of mm-hmm. often clicking between tracks online.
1: Well, what, actually, what I find too is that, that there was a period when I was dutiful and sort of bought a lot of music or mm. e music or iTunes. Kept or, up kind Or of. sort of got things mm. through various blogs mm. and, you know, artist sites. Mm. Um but because I don't actually have those sort of sitting on a shelf or on a pile by the stereo mm. I forget about them. You know, they're yeah. just it's out of sight, out of mind.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well like, even having them I mean I've got records in three different rooms and I've had to bring in these Crates mm-hmm. of These are things I want to listen to You know yeah. and sometime soon And then I'll flip through Like making a little yeah, finite yeah. selection I'll actually end up flipping through them And going no I don't yeah. even You know it might be months before I get to them But it's almost yeah. like I, It's too too big, so you just bite off a little chunk.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's, to, to it's work
0: through, edge. and then I rotate those. You know, and then I move them into the other room.
1: It's insane. You know, there's no way <laughs> we will ever in our lives be able to listen to all of the stuff again. Mm. Mm. Um, but you don't know which which bit's going to become important. So you know, what what happens is i something will remind me of something, and I'll sort of spend two or three days. Yeah, you know, listening obsessively. Yeah, I'm getting more know, like that to a certain person or a certain. Yeah, phase or things yeah. that are a bit alike. I've just been listening to all of Jimmy Jeffrey again. Oh, yeah, I have no yeah. idea what triggered that. Yeah, yeah, but you know, that, that'll that last for two or three days and mm. then I'll be on to something else. You know,
0: I've been doing that and finding really strange, uh, I guess, uh, synchronicities and serendipities mm-hmm. like. I decided I hadn't listened to Hendrix for for, forever and I was gonna play the first three albums. And I I sincerely had no idea, but I was listening to them on the anniversary of his death. That was really strange, you know, just the other week. It was only, I started seeing people posting Mm -hmm. about him. Why is everyone posting about Hendrix? Mm-hmm. There. And and on that day I'd listen to the first three albums For probably the first time in 20 years
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's Twitter for you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> but it, that's right We're sort of being, that, that thing of being Kind of steered towards something Without yeah. actually consciously yeah. knowing it Yeah, And then foot on the brakes And oh wow, that's kind of cool yeah.
1: And, yeah. Uh, and our sort of personal passions And enthusiasms are actually shared things
0: mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. And uh, So do you have the same thing with You know, a, a, in your job as a reader, has that allowed you to be very much of a re-reader? Do you have favourite books that you revisit, or, no, I'm, no, I'm, or do you I'm, plough I'm, on ahead? I'm a
1: terrible rereader because I think in my work, if anything is going to be published, then I will have read it three or four times mm. in the course of the publishing process. Mm. And so, rereading for me is associated with work. Mm. So, reading for pleasure. Is always about something new. Yeah, right. Uh, every, sense, yeah. every now and then, um, something will cause me, you know, when we were working on Morris G's memoir last year. Mm. Um, that caused me to go back and read several of his great novels, which I probably hadn't read for 30 years. Mm, mm. And that was extraordinary because mm. they were wonderful, but they also qu- weren't quite the books I remembered because you know no, well, that's significant. You, you edit them in memory. You know?
0: yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's a significant chunk of time yeah. for you yourself yeah. to have changed so many tastes. It, and you know in yeah. yourself and yeah. experience
1: yeah, i reader now. So That's I'm, right. I'm yeah. finding different things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've just skimmed the surface. There's um, so much that we could have um, talked about to do with the UP. But I've enjoyed this conversation. Is there anything that we you want to you want to no, further plug or anything we need to?
1: No, I, I think there's plenty of plugging <laughs> at the end. There. It's been fun. So yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks very much. That was great.